we never at some point yeah well good morning church again hope everyone is doing well today it is a good day amen it's so great to be here praising God and singing some of these songs with you all uh, for those of you who are, are visiting with us we're glad that you are here uh, we pray that you will stick around a little bit afterwards so we have a little time to to shake your hands and get to know you a little bit uh, I want to make you aware that today at 1.30, uh, we're going to be having another one of our discipleship training times. Uh, if you are in, interested in uh, doing some 95.5 time with our group, uh, we're going to be learning more intimacy and quiet time with the Lord, uh, prayer, listening for God's voice. Um, so if you want that opportunity, we're going to be having another session today at 1.30, and we'll have two more next week on Thursday and Sunday again. So we're just going to keep doing these. We have about 10 or so uh, that we're going to do. Um, as I was thinking about and praying over what we're going to be talking about this morning, I went back and I, I reread a big portion of a book that I have loved for a really long time. And I know probably several of you have read this, but it's a, a book by Francis Chan called Forgotten God. I'm curious, has anybody read this book? Okay, a couple of you have. It's a really good book and it's about the Holy Spirit. It's called Forgotten God because it's about how the modern church really kind of has forgotten um, the third person of the Trinity, how the, it's, he's not really talked about a whole lot in churches, um, especially mainstream churches like Churches of Christ and uh, more conservative churches. But I love what he says in the book. I want to read you this quote here. He says, as believers, we ought to experience astonishment when the Holy Spirit enters our bodies. We should be stunned in disbelief over becoming a new creation with the Spirit living inside of us. As the caterpillar finds its new ability to fly, we should be thrilled over our Spirit-empowered ability to live differently and faithfully. Isn't this what the Scriptures speak of? Isn't this what we've all been longing for? It really is an astonishing truth that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. He lives in me. I don't know what the spirit will do or where he'll lead me each time I invite him to guide me. But I am tired of living in a way that looks exactly like people who don't have the Holy Spirit of God. I want to be different today from what I was yesterday as the fruit of the Spirit becomes more manifest in me. I want to live so that I'm truly submitted to the Spirit's leading on a daily basis. Christ said it's better for us that the Spirit came. And I want to live like I know that's true. Like that caterpillar, I don't want to keep crawling when I have the ability to fly. Isn't that good? It's wonderful. This morning... We're going to be continuing our series that we're doing on the Holy Spirit. We're calling this series Catching Fire. And the reason why we're doing this series is because I agree with Francis Chan. You and I have been promised so much in the New Testament. But unfortunately, because of different things over the years, some things have been emphasized more than others. And many of us have not learned about the Holy Spirit. Many of us have not learned about the indwelling Holy Spirit. And because we haven't learned about the Holy Spirit, we haven't learned about the incredible gift and empowerment that God has for each and every single one of us. So many of us have heard about the Holy Spirit, but so few of us have encountered the Holy Spirit. And my prayer is that by the time we get to the end of this series, if you have not had an, your own encounter with the Holy Spirit, that you would have an encounter with Him because it is life 
changing. So that's what this series is all about, is to help us get an understanding of, of who the Holy Spirit is, um, what's his role, what's he like, you know, what, what are the things he does, um, and, and most importantly, what does it have to do with me? With me? What is my relationship to the Holy Spirit? Now, so far, just to kind of recap really, really fast, uh, we have discovered that uh, the Holy Spirit is the gift that God gives to those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They have come to faith in Jesus Christ, and so um, uh, they have received this gift. This gift is a person. Uh, we talked about this last time. He is a third. He is the third member of the Trinity, as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And because he is a person, that means he has personhood. What do you mean by that, Tim? What I mean by that is, is that when you go through the scriptures, you find out that he's a person. He has knowledge. He has a mind. He has a will. He has feelings. And he has love. And so the Holy Spirit is, is not a thing. He's not a force. He is a divine being. He is God's gift who lives inside of us. But here's the question that we're going to be asking this morning. Instead of talking about the personhood of the Spirit, I want us to move on and talk about the activity of the Holy Spirit and ask this question, what is His activity? You know, you could tell a lot about somebody by what they do, right? You can tell a whole lot about somebody by what they do. Well, let's look at the Bible and see what does the Holy Spirit do. And here's what I would like to do over the course of the next two weeks. Particularly, um, for this morning, I want us to just go through the Old Testament. Now, we're going to take a 40,000-foot view. Obviously, we can't look at every single scripture there is in the Old Testament about the Holy Spirit, but I want to hit the highlights. We're going to look and see, uh, as far as the Old Testament saints of God, what did they understand about the Holy Spirit? How much had God revealed to the Old Testament saints about himself in the Holy Spirit. And then next week, we'll look at the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, okay? So let's talk about this for a second. In talking about the activity of the Holy Spirit, where was the first place we meet him? Anybody remember? Book of Genesis, right? Book of Genesis chapter 2. We, we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but the first time you meet the Holy Spirit, it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now the word there for hover is the word to brood, like a hen brooding over her young. Okay? And so you have the earth there, the earth is formless and void, and the spirit is hovering over the over the waters, and you get this idea that that God is about to start saying, "Let there be light, let there be this, let there be that." We're about to start going through the 7 days of creation, and the Holy Spirit is there going, "Let's go." <laughs> right? Because when the Father speaks, the Spirit does. Okay? When the Father speaks, the Spirit does. It's like it says in Psalm 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the Spirit from His mouth, all their hosts. So the Father believes it, He thinks it, He decides it, He speaks it. When He speaks it, the Spirit does it. Does that make sense? Okay. And so God goes on to create the heavens and the earth, and every time God speaks, the Spirit creates and He gives life. Now, not long from now, God is going to create Adam and Eve. And when God gives Adam life, what does He do? Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life. Well, guess what? The word for breath in Hebrew is the exact same word for spirit. 
He breathed into him spirit. He breathed into him life. It's the same exact word. And so what is that trying to tell you? It's telling you that in the Old Testament, one of the first things that we learn about the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to kind of just keep a board up here and just imagine that as we go through the Scriptures, and this is what I did when I was studying for this sermon, is I just went through the Old Testament and I wrote down everything that the Holy Spirit did. Just here's what He does. One of the first things that we learn is that the Holy Spirit is the principle of life itself. Everybody go, guess what? That breath was given to you by the Holy Spirit. You are alive right now because of the Holy Spirit. People who don't know Christ in the world are alive right now because of the Holy Spirit. How do I know? If the Spirit takes the breath away, guess what? They die. So everything is upheld. Everything that is living is upheld by God's Spirit. So the first thing I want you to realize here is that the Spirit is not talked about personally. We haven't got there yet. That's progressive revelation. We understand that that's going to happen later. In the Old Testament, the Spirit is the sustainer and giver of life. Okay. Now, we know what happens next in God's story, don't we? Adam and Eve, they fall. They rebel. Sin is introduced into the equation. And so now instead of walking with God in the cool of the day and enjoying His intimacy and His fellowship, enjoying the ability to hear God's voice and converse with Him just like me and you are talking right now, the Bible says what happens? They're hiding from God. They're running from God. And that's been the story ever since, hasn't it? Now, watch this. At this point in Genesis chapter 3, in the Bible, there is a fork in the road that begins to happen. A divergent story begins in God's story. You essentially have two stories that are going along at the same time. You have the divergent story, which is the story of man without God. And by the way, if you follow that story to its logical end, to its conclusion, to its goal, what does it lead to? This is life without the Spirit, by the way. It leads to death. It leads to destruction. And in the book of Revelation, it says at the final judgment, there is a second death. And upon that second death, when you receive judgment, depending upon what you've chosen, that timeline ends in a place called hell. You say, Tim, you really believe in a place called hell? Yes, I do. We are eternal creatures. We're going to be eternal whether you like it or not. So that's the end of that storyline life without God but then there's another storyline this is the story of God the story of man and the story of God and we see the story of man and the story of God come to a crisis point not far later in Genesis chapters 9 10 and 11 at the time of the flood what happens mankind becomes so sinful that God has to start over doesn't he so boy you went and you saw the ark you got to you got to sit in the very ark that Noah no not the same one right okay but, but close enough, right? You, you got to see what it was like. So in the time of the flood, the Bible tells us that man had become so sinful that God destro- decided to destroy the world and start over. It's here for a second time at the flood. You see the second reference to the Holy Spirit. Let's read it together. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. The Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever. For they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. Now, I'm not a huge fan of the New Living Translation. 
but sometimes when it nails it, it nails it. <laughs> and when it's bad, it's real bad. I don't use it as a study Bible, but let me show you what the New Living Translation here says because it nails it. Here's what God says. My spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. So what's he saying? What's the spirit doing for that time while the ark was being built? He's striving with man. He's striving with man. What does that mean? The, the word they're striving the, to, to put up. It's the same exact idea that you see in John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11, where Jesus talks about the promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, what is he going to do? One of the first things the Holy Spirit's going to do, he says he's going to convict the world of sin. So what was the Holy Spirit doing in the days leading up to the flood? He was trying to convict the world of sin. He was striving with man. And how long were those people living back then? Methuselah lived how long? 969 years. Well, let me tell you something. You don't want sinful man living that long, do you? Could you imagine if Adolf Hitler lived 969 years? No. So God says, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. I'm going to cut their lifespan down, way down. From 1,000 years to a little over 100 years. About 10% of it, Okay. Why? Because you cannot allow sin to go on like that. Okay, so then we go to uh, the next part of the story. So we learn that he, uh, the, the Spirit is the principle of life. He is what animates you and gives you life. We learn that he strives with man. One of the things that he's constantly doing is correcting man's consciences. Trying to turn man back to God, whether Christian or not. He is always working in the world to try to turn people back to God. Okay, are we all on the same page so far? Everybody say amen if we are. Amen. Oh, give it a hearty amen. amen. Amen! Okay, here we go. Let's keep going. All right. Now, after the flood, God starts over with this story, right? With a view toward resolving the problem that began at creation. So understand, what is God's goal? If you want to know what the goal of the Bible is, look at that timeline right there. The goal, the, the, the telos in the Greek, the end goal of God is to restore what was lost. Do you see this? That's what He's doing. So everything that happens from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the nation of Israel to the church, all of it is to bring about Jesus Christ's final redemption to humanity so He can restore that which was lost in the Garden of Eden. Now, he begins the story with Abraham. After that, people begin to repopulate the earth after the flood. You know how the story goes. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has the 12 sons. The 12 sons become the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes become what? The nation of Israel. Okay. Now, what's God's plan? God's plan is to create a nation that's his. He's going to give them his laws. He's going to give them the temple, which is his presence. He's going to call them as his own. And he's going to give them a divine mandate. And their divine mandate is to be a light to the nations, to be representatives of God to the nations. They are supposed to show other people what God is like and what human beings should be like. That was the goal. How well did Israel do? Not well. So we start to read as we go through the Old Testament that that's not the end-all, be-all to God's goal, that God has a Messiah that He's planning to bring. 
an anointed one. And I want you to hold your thoughts to that idea, anointed one, because we're going to come back to that in just a moment. But again, he wants to bring forth the Messiah. The Messiah is going to wind up being the sacrifice for all sins. And it's the sacrifice of Jesus that's going to undo the mess that was started in Genesis chapter 3 and eventually lead us back to a place where we can have complete, total reconciliation with God. We call that heaven. New heavens and a new earth. Am I going too fast this morning? So excited. This is good stuff. Okay? All right, let's keep going. Now, do we see the Holy Spirit show up in places throughout the Old Testament with, uh, with Israel? Sure we do. When you think about the Holy Spirit... Here's what I want you to think of. I went ahead and put them all up here, but I'm going to leave this up for a little while because I know some of you like to take pictures and and write it down. Um, But when you think Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, I want you to put Holy Spirit equals presence. That's the main way we see the Holy Spirit presented in the Old Testament. It is the actual presence of God. When God told Moses to construct the tabernacle, What was the tabernacle about? It's the presence of God. Where do you find the presence of God in the Old Testament? It's at the tabernacle. Later on, it's at the temple, right? When God instructed Moses to build the tabernacle, um, remember what led them in the wilderness for those 40 years. It was the Shekinah glory. And during the day, it showed up as a pillar of smoke and fire. It led them through the wilderness. and I'm sorry, a pillar of smoke. And at nighttime, it was a pillar of fire. That is a physical representation of the presence of God. It was the Holy Spirit in visible form, okay? You'll also remember that not everybody in the Old Testament could experience the manifest presence of God. Only the high priest was able to experience the manifest presence of God, right? Only after they had made ceremony for themselves, after they had made sacrifices for themselves, only one time a year could they go in and witness the Holy Spirit, the manifest presence of God. And what does that tell you? That tells you that the whole point of the tabernacle was to remind us that sin is what causes separation between us and God. Sin's the problem. It's not anything else. It's, it's sin that's the issue. It's sin that has to be dealt with. And Jesus is the one that deals with that sin so that sin can be taken away. Now, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. But what happens when sin is dealt with? The Holy Spirit can come in, which is why in the New Testament there is no temple. Jesus says there's a day coming when they're not going to worship here or there. Because why? You and me are the temple in the New Testament. Amen? Okay. Now, one important thing to note about the Spirit, when He manifests Himself in the Old Testament, the Spirit did not indwell people like He does today. That's something a lot of people don't realize. In the Old Testament, the Spirit did not indwell people like He does today. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a unique gift that's given just to you. You realize how special that is? The Holy Spirit is just given to Christians, just given to those who were followers of Jesus Christ. So, what did the Spirit do in the Old Testament? I'm going to give you just a few of them here, just just very glancing at them. There were some different things he did. When he told Moses to build their tabernacle, he says, I want you to select certain men who are skilled, who have artistic skills. But what does the Spirit do? The Spirit comes upon them, and he makes it even more, right? So, in other words, he he takes a, 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 a really mediocre preacher like this guy here, 
and the Spirit comes on him, and he becomes the Apostle Paul, right? He takes what's there and he amplifies it, okay? The Spirit can do that. The Spirit can do that. What else does the Spirit do in the Old Testament? He enabled certain individuals in Exodus 31 to have supernatural ability to have creativity. Um, he gave Joshua a spirit of leadership in Numbers chapter 27. The Spirit empowered Othniel, uh, one of the judges, to become a great warrior. Did the same thing for Gideon and um, Judges. He gave Samson what? His incredible strength. That was the Holy Spirit that gave him physical strength. Saul, he prophesied. Uh, he wasn't a prophet, but because he was a king in the Old Testament, where did the Holy Spirit usually typically go to? The prophets and the priests and the kings. Okay? Saul prophesied at times. He wasn't a prophet, but the Holy Spirit came upon him and he prophesied. And by the way, the Holy Spirit left him too, didn't he? That's another thing that's very key when you think about these, these scriptures is that in the Old Testament, he was not the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He came upon certain people for empowerment, for ministry, but if they didn't listen, if they didn't obey, the Holy Spirit removed himself just like he did from Saul. I mean, that's why later on, remember David when he sins with Bathsheba? Remember what happens later on? He... he um, he says that prayer in Psalm 51, verse 11. He says, do not cast me from your presence or what? Take your Holy Spirit from me. Man. Uh, just a few more up here. For Solomon, he gives wisdom. That was from the Spirit. For the prophets, the Spirit would give dreams and visions and words from the Lord about various things. Mainly, the Holy Spirit would just give zeal to people to want to return back to God. He would give zeal to people to want to be holy. I mean, after all, he's the Holy Spirit, right? He's the spirit of holiness. He engenders and inspires holiness inside of you. Okay. Here's the point. The point in all of this is that in the Old Testament, they have a very limited understanding of the Holy Spirit. But if you were to capture all of this, and I went through Genesis to Malachi, and this is the, the big picture right here. He is the principle of life itself. He is the breath of life. The reason why you're breathing is because the Holy Spirit is making that available to you right now. He is striving with you to constantly get you to realize the places in your life that are not quite aligned with God. And He's always working to bring you closer to Him. He is the presence of God in your life. He can enable supernatural activity, leadership. He can empower you to become a mighty warrior. He can give you prophecies, dreams, and visions, wisdom. But all of it is to draw you into a closer, holy relationship with the Father. Amen? Okay. So when you come to the pages, or to the end of the pages of the Old Testament, the people of God in the Old Testament, our forebears, did not have the same blessings that you and I have today. Their experiences of the Holy Spirit were very limited. His presence was more understood corporately not individually. Um, they didn't have the language of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They didn't understand that kind of language. In fact, most of them would have said, I'm too sinful, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm too sinful. I'm too sinful to, to have such, such holiness living inside of me. For them, the Holy Spirit only worked with prophets and priests and kings and those who had been anointed by God. And even then, there were no guarantees. The Spirit may leave depending upon how you're living your life. So toward the end of the Old Testament, the people began to have hope for the future. Oh, let me skip past this here. Here we go. So toward the end of the Old Testament, here's where I want to stop this morning. 
I told my wife, I said, I'm going to try to summarize the entire Old Testament in one sermon. She says, good luck. Good luck. And if you're watching, I did it. I got to the end of it, sort of. Okay. You get to the end of the Old Testament, and you see a longing in the people for more. They want more. And, 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 and toward the end of the Old Testament, the people begin to have hope for the future of a coming day, of a coming era, where there won't be just a little bit of the Spirit, where there's going to be an era where the Spirit's going to be everywhere again. We're going to have the Holy Spirit everywhere again. And these same prophecies, many of them, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, whom we know to be the Messiah, the prophecies also predicted that when this Messiah comes, you know why he's called the Anointed One? Because the prophets and the Old Testament saints agreed and said that when this new person comes, when this Messiah comes, he won't just have the Holy Spirit upon him like David. He's going to have the Holy Spirit in him. He's going to be fully endued with the Holy Spirit. And the prophets also started saying that not only is this person going to be the anointed one who's fully anointed by the, the Holy Spirit, when this anointed one comes, he's also going to bring the Holy Spirit to us. Listen to these prophecies. I'm going to read you just a couple of them, but this sets us up for next week when we get to the New Testament. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'm going to make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It's not going to be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel at that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people and no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. There's a new covenant coming. I'm going to take all the sin away. I'm going to come inside. I'm going to put my law on their thoughts and their mind. I'm going to write it on their hearts. I'm going to bend that old hard heart of my people and move them toward my ways. That's this new covenant that you and I are part of. But I'm not done. Let's keep going. Ezekiel chapter 36, 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. Here it is again. And what? Move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Amen. And then finally, amen, sister. Thank you. And then this next one right here. From the book of Joel chapter 2. And this is the prophecy that, that Peter quotes in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes in His fullness upon His people, I will pour out My Spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on My servants, both men and women, I will pour out My Spirit in those days. Amen. So as we close this morning, the prophets look forward to the day when the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon all of God's people. And no longer would the Spirit's presence be just at the temple. No longer would the presence be just with prophets, priests, and kings. In this new covenant, 
This new covenant God, that God promises is coming. The Spirit is going to come and live inside people as a permanent dwelling, as a permanent presence. And as a result of His presence living in us, it's akin to writing His law on our hearts. No longer are you going to have to have teachers constantly saying, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Why? Because you're going to have the Holy Spirit inside of you that's going to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. And for those of you who have the Holy Spirit, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't have to have a Bible teacher tell you, don't do that. Because on the inside, you know, because you have the witness, you have the anointing inside of you that guides you every step of the way. The problem is, most of us have never been taught about the Holy Spirit, and most of us don't know how to hear His voice. But if we start listening to that voice inside of us, we will be blessed. Okay, we're going to stop here. Next week, we're going to hop over into the New Testament. We're going to show you the fulfillment of these prophecies. Uh, as the New Testament people, as the New Testament covenant of God has this incredible gift, and we're going to keep developing this understanding of the Holy Spirit. Uh, would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for the blessing that we have today. I pray that everyone in this room understands just how much of a, a, a blessing of grace it is for us to have the gift of your presence inside of us. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to turn down the noise of our flesh and our lives and our worries and our cares so that we might be able to focus on that which is above. Help us to put our minds on the things above and not on the things that are upon the earth. Help us to walk by the Spirit, Father, and not uh, the flesh. Help us to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit who lives inside of us. And, Father, by the Spirit, we cry out unto you right now, Abba, Father. We pray that you'd forgive us, Father, of all of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need to respond to the invitation, then this opportunity is yours right now as together we stand and sing.